Youth ministry can always use some big ideas. Ideas that are faithful to relational ministry, but also provide some crazy, fun, and life-giving resources for youth leaders, youth in leadership, and the church. Now that's religion. This is the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Podcast. Your source for information, discussion, and feedback in youth ministry of all shapes and sizes. Now, here are your hosts, Michelle Thomas-Bush and Cliff Haddocks. Welcome to the Big Ideas and Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are providing resources, inspiration, um, interviews, all sorts of things to help out youth ministry in all shapes and sizes. Wherever you find yourself, we want to be a resource for you. And we are back again this week, and we've got a top five. We're going to get to that in just a second. But first, I am Cliff Haddix, also known as Revenue Geek, and I have got Michelle Thomas-Bush with me. Michelle, here we are again. Here we are again. What do we got? Well, we are in season two, Cliff, a season where we're partnering with the Association of Partners in Christian Education, APSI, to offer a basic youth ministry skill uh, series in this podcast. So, and each week we're starting off with the top five list. So, Cliff, today we have our top five mental health resources that you and I both like. And so we'd love to share this with our audience. Let's start with number five and build up to our number one. Well, number five is great as a parent. You know, it's a great parenting book. It's Thrivers by uh, Michelle Borba. The subtitle is The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. Uh, the reason I like this book is that it took about seven teachable skills. It, it, it takes a look at seven teachable skills that uh, can help set healthy and high-performing kids apart. Yeah, that's a great book. Somebody... Um, else introduced it to us last year in the Big Ideas uh, Facebook group. And one of the coolest things I found is that it has uh, top five takeaways at the end of every chapter and then one last lesson. So it's like one more thing about this topic, about, you know, um, the each issue. So I love that book, Cliff. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we're always talking about how every every relationship is different and every kid is different. And we we do get a lot of those times where people want to compartmentalize. Oh, we'll just do this. It's like, well, you know, there are different things to to reach and understand about each kid. And this book goes well into that. And I think it's helpful just to understand as a parent, what the culture is and what our young people are doing in order to understand mental health. So that's why uh, I think that's a great book for this mental health resource. My number four cliff is, a curriculum. It's by Fuller Youth Ministry Institute. It's a four-week series called Faith in an Anxious World. Mm-hmm. And it is um, a video series, a curriculum. It also has four podcasts that go along with it. We used it this summer for a trip uh, as a curriculum for our, a youth trip this summer, and we sent the podcast to the parents during the week, and they absolutely loved it. So I highly recommend that Faith in an Anxious World. And at number three is Shining Like the Sun, Seven Mindful Practices for Rekindling Your Faith by Steve Wines. By the way, I'll make certain we have links in the um, oh, great. in the uh, in the feed for all these so people can find them easily. Well, uh, e- I easy love that pra- book too, Cliff. Great yes. choice. Yeah, easy practices to teach and wonderful information about why we do mindfulness and faith practices. This is similar to spiritual practices for the brain, but it's very accessible to the, and the best chapter I think is finding God wherever you go. Yeah, I think I like both those books, The Shining Like the Sun and um, Anne Kernian, I think does spiritual practices for the brain. 
both those are similar, but I love that. Great choice. Number two, I have mindful game activity cards. Um, I think mindfulness is a huge part of mental health wellness, mental wellness, um, and mindfulness is a great way for us to help our young people prepare themselves to be present in this world. So uh, Susan Greenland and Annika Harris do these mindful games and they come in a book and an activity cards. It's amazing practical mindfulness activities. I think it's really designed to use in the classroom, Cliff, but I think it's a great resource for uh, youth ministry. Well, I mean, the thing that we've talked about in a number of times in this podcast, when we talk to anybody, whether an author or, you know, someone who, who's, who's, who's designed something, is that all these things are to be jumping off points, you know, that, that right, we don't exactly. always, we, it could be a way to get to somewhere else. There's no rules that we have to follow 100%. And yeah, I'm all about games. I am all about games. And that brings me to the number one book resource for mental health we have is Therapy Games for Teens, 150 Activities to Improve Self-Esteem, Communication, and Coping Skills with Kevin Gruzeski. Um, it's a great resource uh, with age-appropriate mental health. That is so important, age-appropriate mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, check-ins to support you uh, and your work uh, helping youth go deeper. Yeah, and there's a, I love that book and I use it all the time, Cliff. Uh, there's also a website called Therapist Aid that kind of partners with that uh, book or I think it goes well with that book. They offer worksheets on uh, CBT um, games, cognitive behavior therapy games, practical tools. So the therapy games for teens or the therapist aid, number one by far uh, re- resource for mental health awareness in uh, doing youth ministry um, with young people. Because I think we are not definitely not trained in this, um, yeah. in seminary, and college, in any you know, youth ministry world. So any resources we have, uh, we will use. And important to remember that if we don't have an expertise in it, we can do a lot of damage by trying to exactly. do it. Exactly. Um, and that, and unfortunately, that has happened many times in in various ministries where someone's like, oh, I can handle this. No, you can't. <laughs> call, yeah. call in some help. By all means, that's call in some help. Cliff, that's a great uh, reminder to us that you know, call in your local counselors, call in your local therapist, have them lead. We like to think we can do everything, um, but we can't. And so these are great resources that you could use, but that may be partnering with somebody who comes in and does some um, work with your youth group. So I think that's a, a great reminder. Thank you for that. And speaking so of we'll bringing this... in some help, yes. <laughs> let's bring in some help. <laughs> we have Loudon Young, who is with us today. Loudon is the Associate Pastor of Emerging Generations and Mission at New Providence Presbyterian Church in Maryville, Tennessee. That is a fascinating title. Tell us about what Emerging Generations are all about. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it's so good to be here with y'all as, as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts. Um, it's so weird to be on this end of actually doing one. Um, <laughs> We're glad you're here with us today, Lou. Hey, it's a, a pleasure and an honor to be here. But yeah, that title, um, I think, is the classic Presbyterian way of how do we make something that we've called the same thing for a while sound even better? 
um, mm. and newer and cooler. And so emerging generations here at New Providence is really uh, youth and young adults um, and also talking about transitional ministries between generations as you get older. Um, and so I have a wide berth um, of what I'm able to do with different groups and demographics in the church. And um, I like the uh, the length of the title because I rarely ever have to say the entire thing. Um, I've just started calling it EG or yeah, EGM. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool uh, kind of integration of generational ministry that we've seen in a lot of iterations in the church, but um, it just sounds cooler to say emerging generations, I think. So we're talking today about mental health awareness of where our young people are in a sociological world you know, how do you, what's your connection with mental health counseling um, and how does this influence your ministry? Yeah, so um, I am extremely fortunate uh, to be married to a pretty incredible person. My wife, Elizabeth, is actually a clinical mental health counselor. Um, and uh, the, the funny thing about that, uh, I always make the joke that she actually went into clinical mental health counseling after we got engaged. So that may tell you all you need to know about yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> she needed to, right? Uh. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it's interesting because also I, I realized uh, doing kind of my own work and working with my own counselors um, that so much of uh, really like pivotal events in my life. Uh, my, my mother had a, a terminal diagnosis, a multiple mm. sclerosis that she uh, started having symptoms of when I was going into middle school. Um, and so some of those like formative years of youth ministry for me, I was also going through some really traumatic uh, kind of stuff with my family. And so uh, when my wife went into kind of mental health counseling, I, I realized that a lot of the stuff that we were doing in youth group was kind of initial integrations of some stuff that they do in group therapy and, and some of the techniques that they've developed uh, in mental health counseling with adolescents. And so um, I, I, I'm still really good friends with my uh, youth pastor, who now mm -hmm. I can call a colleague, which is always a weird thing. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, right. Uh, but it's Michael Poulos, who is a, a solo pastor in Spruce Pines, North Carolina. Love now. him. He's a great guy. But, yeah. And he, uh, and, it, and we've had conversations about whether it was intentional or not um, and how much we really have this integration of these kind of simple techniques, not as a replacement for therapy for any of our kids, but as kind of an introduction to the work of being emotionally vulnerable and honest in space. And so, um, yeah, so my, my, let's say my uh, initial experience with it was unbeknownst to me, but so important in my formation. And then uh, with my wife, I've really had the benefit of her education and, and our conversations and unpacking of, of the work that I do uh, to help better know what I'm already doing and what we can continue to do to integrate some of those things. Yeah. Cliff, doesn't your wife do some work in... Yes, my wife is a marriage and family therapist as well. Got her education at uh, Louisville Seminary while we were there. Interesting. And uh, yeah, so yeah, we, we I often joke about all the me-search that is done in our house, you know, when she is, you know, studying uh, the ways we are, the way that our kids are. Uh, but the thing is that that doesn't always guarantee that everything, you know, works out right. We all have the work that we have to do. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, and... Uh, and uh, yeah, there's times that it's great that she has that. It's other times that like, it's like, no, that kind of fall, falls out the window. We got to find our way through it because every situation is unique. Uh, but yes, yes, it, it, it's, it's a good thing to have a therapist in house. I will say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. highly recommend. <laughs> 
highly recommend. So where do you see the shifts in youth ministry uh, the last couple of years um, in regards to mental health and young people and, and how do you acknowledge those shifts in your ministry? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me, especially and and this has probably always been the case. I mean, I'm I'm 33 years old, so I'm by no means the uh, the history book of youth ministry over the decades. Um, mm-hmm. But at least my experience, um, I think one of the challenges that I often hear from from youth workers that that I talk to and and also through my work, I'm I'm also the chair of our youth committee for the Presbytery of East Tennessee, and so I get to talk with a lot of youth workers in different capacities from fully ordained uh, associate pastors all the way down to part-time youth directors or just volunteers who have been thrust into that position. Um, And one of the things I hear a lot is it's, it's harder to get youth to youth group um, because Mm -hmm. the selling points of youth group are not the same as they used to be. Um, And actually I'll, I'll, do a plug here that Michelle, I'm sure you will appreciate. Uh, they are doing a book club, right, for the uh, Presbyterian Youth Workers Association, right, uh, on Andrew Root's book, um, uh, "The End of Youth Ministry." And and one of the things that he kind of talks about a little bit in his book, which I'm I'm not finished with yet, but working my way through. Well, we did have him on the podcast, so you can go back and oh, listen to uh, yeah. our previous interview with him, where we talk about it. So. Yeah. And a plug on the podcast, please listen to that one first. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he has lots of good information, but one of the things he talks about is the changing goods that are represented in, in yeah. youth ministry over the decades. And and one of the things I think we continue to try and fight against and, and fail to is to show how we offer more than sports teams or uh, friend groups or, or some of these other things where people are finding social outlets nowadays that they didn't have. 40 or 50 years ago right. and with, with the advent of, of social media and all of these ways of somewhat feeling connected. I'm, I'm doing the thing you shouldn't do on podcasts of using my hands to do parentheses. Um, but <laughs> These the social uh, kind of uh, connectors that we have now uh, where, where that whole idea of, of youth group being this kind of social center of the life of any youth is just dishonest. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not true anymore. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I think a big part of how we move forward in youth ministry is is trying to figure out what youth ministry can be um, as it meets a need in our community for our youth. And this mental health piece we're seeing is a huge need. Um, I've especially noticed, and I don't know uh, if this is true in y'all's context too, but uh, especially since the pandemic, we're seeing like increased uh, and elevated um, levels of stress and anxiety and and sometimes it's not even with additional stressors. It is still school as school was, but there's something about the pandemic that has made that stress seem amplified um, to a degree that it wasn't before. And so uh, what I, I think is the kind of cool future of youth ministry is if we stop trying to be this social center um, of the world for our youth and we try and be that place of initial steps into community mental health and, and what would a youth group look like if its primary concern was uh, developing skills for um, our young people to to begin to interact with kind of mental health in a non-stigmatized way? Yeah, exactly. How transformative that might be. Well, I think um, at the end of the pandemic, uh, my young people came to me and said, you know, we have youth who are falling apart. Mm. What can we do? So they're the ones who actually started our mental health check-ins and we train our mental health advocates, high school students to 
lead that check-in once a month. And so it's not youth group, but it does draw a, a good group of people who come in once a month and they get to eat Chipotle and um, check in with each other. They learn a, a meditation each week and a um, CBT tool. Um, but I think that's one of the things you're talking about is like, we've got to find some other avenues. Um, it's not just to come and eat pizza and play games and do a little devotion. They're wanting, they're hungry for a little bit more. Um, I have to admit some nights it's just Chipotle, but whatever gets them there, right? <laughs> uh, I, I never say no to the, uh, whatever it takes to get the kids in, uh, I'm all for. I do think it's interesting too that um, I think, especially at least in our youth program, we will have kids if, if we offered kind of like you are a mental health check-in, like in an official titled program and say, this is the mental health check-in. We'd have some kids that would come, but we also have other kids that are dealing with mental health issues that don't actively recognize it as a mental health mm -hmm. issue. Um, mm. Who think like, that's not for me. But also I'm, I'm dealing with parents going through a divorce or uh, a sibling who I'm really close to who's now leaving for college. And they were kind of my my outlet for for how I talk to right. people about feelings. And so uh, one of the things that I, I think is so cool about uh, where where we're moving towards in, in our program is to actively integrate these things. And I, I sometimes call it uh, hiding the. Uh, the meat and the veg or the vegetables and the mashed potatoes or uh but but doing check-ins but but developing skills for myself as a conversation leader and as exactly. a youth leader, our, our youth folks to to ask kind of questions that continue to to pry open a little bit those kind of closed doors that youth are sometimes put up around their feelings and emotions so like we do check-ins and we have to do them a little bit different every time because if we just do check-ins with everyone, that's the entire time uh, that we'll spend. Right, right. Uh, but uh, one of the cool things well, that we started doing. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. No, I was, I was going to say one of the cool things that, that I started doing is is we would always ask, how are you doing? That would be the first question that we, we ask. And, and my youth are masters of the one word answer of, oh, I'm good. Fine. Good. Yeah, great. Fine. And uh, I try integrating the feelings wheel uh, at one point. And uh, uh, let's just say they were uh, mixed on their response to having to yep. check in feelings wheel. Um, but one of the things I always did was I would always follow up with, do you want to expand on that at all? Mm -hmm. Like, why, why are you feeling good? Uh, if that's what you're feeling. And, and for a lot of them, they start to think and they take a moment and then they, they realize that they struggle to answer sometimes like good is the default not the real. Well, I think that they don't have that emotional vocabulary. So throwing out a feeling wheel sometimes is so hard because I, I mean, I have a hard time doing that, identifying my feelings. Yeah. So, you know, I, I will say, if you ask me how I'm feeling, well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty productive. And my son will go, wrong answer. That's not a feeling. Yeah. That yeah. is, that is a, an action and a, an or accomplishment. Or we hold back because we're not, we don't want to burden the people around us, exactly. you know, I, and I'm, exactly. I'm someone who talks about the importance of saying how we feel all the time, but if I'm in a mixed group and it's not, and I'm not sure it's a safe place to be that vulnerable, um, I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired, you know, yeah. meanwhile, yeah. I'm like, I am falling apart inside, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah, well, well we, we did, uh, we do the feeling uh, chart by Mark Brackett a lot and I have them laminated and 
we had some great high schoolers who would start out and they're like, they would do exactly what Cliff said is I'm falling apart today. So I'm somewhere in the red because, you know, my life is a, a shit show right now. So, and I love that once they started, then everybody else was like, oh, okay, I could share something too then, you know, yeah. or I can name it a little bit easier. Um, but it is hard. And I think that's where it's not that we're, we're doing therapy because a lot of our kids do have therapists, but if they're only seeing their therapist once a month, it's good to have some time to check in in between. Yeah. And, and it's not uh, an a, a departure from our faith. It is part of our experience as a faith people. Um, there's a great curriculum, Redeeming Babel, that talks about the anxiety opportunity. And it used to be named anxiety as an opportunity for spiritual growth. Because it talked about how we have to go through our anxiety, not just set it aside. Like, don't just set aside that your parents are getting divorced and come to church. Bring it with you. Um, and and know we can talk about it here as people of faith and we can, because that's what Jesus did. And um, I think we have to model that for our young people. Yeah, I think one of the, the things I am proudest of most in, in my ministry so far here in, here in East Tennessee is, is our, our youth committee uh, works with a, a youth council of high schoolers to kind of develop themes for the year. And we do programming, a middle school retreat and a high school retreat over the course of the year. Um, and we were so blessed to have Maggie Johnson keynote for us last Great. year. One of Columbia the best. Seminary uh, students and currently works, I think, at Shallowford Prez there in Atlanta. Um, highly recommend uh, her as a keynote speaker. She is incredible. But we had developed this theme called the feeling word. Um, mm. and, and we were able to kind of unpack uh, emotional responses we see in scripture that Jesus has. Um, and in our youth group, we had a lot of really good conversations after after those events about um, how the Bible is full of feeling. Uh, mm. It's full of uh, these opportunities that believers and people of faith have had to express how they're feeling um i i used to joke with my youth that uh i i feel like psalms is the uh the first christian journaling yes um, yes and <laughs> there are techniques yeah. that that are described here that allow us to to talk about these things i think sometimes uh when we think about the intersections of faith and science we only think about biological science but really mm -hmm. There's, a, there's another integration uh, out there of kind of mind science of, of how the brain works and how we think and experience and feel in the world and how we might further and deepen our faith through an understanding of how those things are not counterintuitive to one another, but actually essential um, to one another. Say more about mind science. Um, that's a term we don't use very much. Elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know if it's official terminology. I kind of just use it to describe kind of psychology and sociology um, and how we uh, as a thinking people uh, interpret a physical world around us and our experiences within it. Um, and uh, I, I, I must admit, I come from a liberal arts background. And so a, a part of my um, degree program at Maryville College, Go Scots by God, um, mm -hmm. was uh, 
to have a class in sociology and to have a class in psychology. And, and by all means, I, I am nowhere close to even a beginning expert in any of those fields, but it did give me this cool connecting points of here's another lens through which to view all of these things you've experienced in your life. And, and I think sometimes in the church, we're afraid um, of that integration. Um, I know, especially uh, when we're talking about the, uh, uh, the physical or somatic responses to worship and whether mm -hmm. some of those are manipulative, especially in uh, some of these more uh, high intensity uh, or rock show kind of worship services. Right. Um, and, and I think that, that a part of that fear is, is taking away this, this really amazing opportunity um, to look at our faith through the lenses of kind of mind science and how we, how we think about our feelings and what does our faith tell us about how we think about our feelings and vice versa. Um, so. Yeah, that, thank you for that. I, I am not a feeling person by nature. And so mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, I love the idea of the feeling word and I need to do more of understanding the feelings through scripture. So I think this is fascinating to me because it's not my go-to, you know, yeah. I'm a, a think, you know, I have a gut response. My feelings are the last thing that I connect with. Um, and so, but I forget that for young people, you know, many of them, that's, that's so core uh, to who they are is their feelings and understanding them and, and giving them uh, opportunity to expand upon it and see it connect to their faith is so important. Yeah. And it was interesting reading uh, uh, Andrew Root's book uh, about uh, kind of this, uh, the speeding up and slowing down of, of what felt like uh, that, that youth ministry was countercultural to the the speed at which people were trying to grow up. And now uh, on the opposite side, uh, how we're trying to slow down that, that right, aging. Right. What's interesting to me, though, is I would love to, to look more about what about emotional maturity? Um, mm -hmm. Are we that same thing? Because um, at least for my parents and the generations that precede me, emotional maturity is difficult even in the adults. I don't, I don't see some of those adults uh, who, who still struggle to talk about feelings and how it impacts them, um, not knowing that it impacts them regardless of if they talk about it or not. Um, and so I, I do wonder at, at some point also if, if we've been stagnant in this idea of emotional maturity, because we think about, oh, my kids are trying to grow up too, too fast. They're trying to do all these things that adults do because um, they want to be adults, but it's like the emotional maturity part of that is how how much healthier can our behaviors become when we become more in tune uh, with what our emotional health is, how we understand the influencing factors of our behaviors. So do we have a responsibility to our parents to, you know, I think my title is Associate for Youth and Families. Um, do we have a responsibility to help our parents understand their emotional maturity and their struggles? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think so. I, I think absolutely. Um, and that's that's probably a harder task uh, than what I'm talking about with youth group integrations, because we don't exactly have parent group uh, that, that uh, uh, parents could check into, though that may be uh, a part of the future is creating more spaces outside of, say, adult Sunday schools that are primarily um, inhibited by these uh, parents who are waiting for their kids to get out of Sunday school. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Well, and Cliff, you might see that in a smaller church. It's really doing it from the pulpit, too. Exactly, it's exactly. And I, I've made a point at times in sermons and such 
to relate the fact that I deal with anxiety, I take medication, I go to therapy. You know, I, I, I normalize those things as much as I can because I know that there is still a very unhealthy um, attitude toward those types of things. Well, we didn't have therapy when I was growing up. You just sucked it up. It's like, yeah, and those people were miserable, and they passed that misery on to the next generation. I don't, I don't desire to do that. Um, and well, and, and it I, goes online too. I mean, that that's um, one of my yeah. one of my wife, who's a therapist. One of her pet peeves, and she will find it whenever we are out. If we're at like a gift shop, and it's like a glass of wine in the beach is my therapy. You know the, those those signs, and she just like, <laughs> you know, it's like no yeah. therapy is something real and something causes it and something we need and something that's a process. It's not therapy. My dog is my therapist. Blah. No, that's not, that's, you know, she, she just always, she always finds it. She always shows it to me. And and I do think Loudon, don't you think that our young people in this generation, maybe it's Gen Z, maybe it's Gen Alpha, that, that they are normalizing therapy. Absolutely. Maybe for the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the struggle too, and the reason why I see the need for kind of this initial steps into kind of proactive community mental health work in our communities is the availability of therapists Mm -hmm. and counselors is is vastly different when you look at kind of the resources available so if i have money and insurance yeah i can probably find a counselor pretty quickly but for folks who don't have those things like here in east tennessee i'm i'm in maryville i think we have maybe uh, 35,000 people who live in this town and Knoxville is the next closest town. Um, and it's, it's even, I think, under 250,000 people. Um, but there is a, a limited number of mental health right. counselors. Right. And my wife worked in community mental health um, uh, in Sevierville and the wait list for their uh, services, which was geared towards, they had, they had grants that were supposed to be geared towards these people who couldn't afford insurance or wouldn't otherwise have access their wait list was eight months long at its mm-hmm. shortest point. Yeah. Uh, it was 16 months, um, I think, at the, the longest when she was still working there. And and I can only imagine that will continue to be the case mm-hmm. as we see this generation. And even I think this generation is impacting the, our generation, the millennials and, right. and even generations up. As this becomes normalized, more people will seek it out and the resources of availability for counselors um, is going to be tougher. And so we have to find other ways to to integrate these things a little bit, not mm-hmm. to be as a replacement for, for therapy, because anyone who knows a therapist know that that is mm-hmm. work that's intentional and takes time that's and right. takes a lot of training to do well, um, but but merely as a, as a beginning point, a modeling of, hey, checking in about your feelings is a good thing. Exactly. And so, so say more about the connections with youth ministry and community mental health. What are, why are those connections important? Yeah, I, I think uh, one uh, we've, we've already kind of touched on is the realization that everyone needs therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone should be uh, doing this work of self-reflection and, and going through previous and past experiences to better understand um, how you interact with the world in your, your current life. Um, as we say, the body remembers even if we don't. Um, and so I think that uh, a big part of this is recognizing the need. Um, and, and then also, what are the resources available when we talk about community mental health? Um, uh, I, I, I often use this as kind of a, dis, a distinctive point for our parents to say, this is why youth group is important. Um, your, 
your sports team will teach uh, kind of competitiveness and, and maybe uh, work ethic and some of these other things. But I was like, they're not going to teach your, your kid to talk about their feelings in a meaningful mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. They just, they just don't have, they don't have time for it. And it's not a part of, of their kind of game plan for the most part. And, yeah, when you, and you're, you're using talking about their feelings as a starting place or just as a, I'm going to use my finger quotes again, um, you know, but really it's, you know, to talk about decatastrophizing, to talk about reframing, to talk yeah. about, you know, one thing I say on every trip is just because you're having a thought doesn't mean it's true. You know, that's a uh, just a phrase we use, but it's part of the youth ministry all the time. Um, these, which I think is integrating that sociology into youth ministry is acknowledging, you know, that they have thoughts that they then think are true that affect their behavior and, um, you know, that triangle of, of, you know, thoughts, feelings, behavior. And so if we could say, you know, your thoughts are not true, you just had it, you know, you gotta, you gotta do some processing. So it's a little bit more than just feelings, you know, we, yeah. we do, they're so it's endless. Um, That's the pix. It's uh, I, I, I kind of call it Pixaring. Um, <laughs> is there, there's always the initial, like, uh, on the surface uh, thing that Pixar is trying to get across. That's a movie. great phrase. But Cliff definitely can, identifies. Sorry. Yes. 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 But you can dig into some really deeper stuff. And really that first idea is your entryway into saying, oh, let me let me also talk about this. One of the examples I can give from from our youth ministry here at New Providence is uh, most of my youth now know what the word triangulation means. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I use it pretty often because it is it is a go to in the world of high schoolers. Yes, um, it is. And, and the church. And, and the church, church. And adults and everyone. Uh, we use yeah. it a lot. Cliff, by the way, I need to talk to you about Loudon later after this. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, there is this uh, giving giving the vocabulary. We talked about this a little bit. Um, kind of showing them these words to identify these things that they're already experiencing. Um, and I had this wonderful moment uh, a few months ago where um, uh, we were talking about a situation that one of our youth was in. And another one of our youth was like, that sounds like triangulation. Mm. Um, you're right. And you're that like. Is- Oh, they got it. Uh, They're learning. And so like d- developing and, and giving them kind yeah. of uh, modeling uh, these concepts for them in a way that they can see it in their own lives and understand it better in their own lives, I, I think also helps as a group them build the space to do uh, kind of more of this work. And then understanding that us as uh, uh, youth leaders also need to recognize when it's time to refer out. Um, and I think that's a, mm. a, a big thing too, is, yes. is therapists will refer out too. So if the experts feel like there's an area that they can't, can't really deal with, they will find resources and, and send folks elsewhere. And, and a part of that is understanding that also we're going to start kind of this entry work and we're going to try and model it. But if I'm hearing something that I know needs more. Uh, than so what say I'm, more about that. And Cliff, what about, what oh, do I was, you do? I was going to say that our Presbytery actually has a policy. Okay, what a is policy that policy? That um, you have, I can't, off the top of my head, I'm forgetting if it's three or five, but the number of times you can visit with somebody about yep. a serious issue before you have to refer them out. Yep. We, as pastors who are untrained in this area, are not to do counseling for a serious situation like that. That's right. Yeah, I do one. I do one visit, like almost like a assessment. 
-hmm. and then I refer you to somebody else because I am not a counselor. Um, You know, we can talk all we want on a youth trip about things, but I'm still going to, if there's a bigger issue, I'm going to refer you to a therapist, to a counselor, Mm -hmm. to an addiction coach, to eating disorder specialist, to whatever it is that, you know, somebody else who has those skills. Um, yeah, that's a great reminder, Loudon. Thank you. Yeah. And and I find also that that first conversation, because usually uh, I, you won't know when that first conversation is going to happen because uh, nope. it's happening mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, and typically what, what I have um, is kind of a list of resources available at my hands and, and having a, a wife who's a mental health counselor helps a lot in developing kind of resources of of who in your area and what they're able to do and if they accept insurance or not, or just having kind of those tools. And there is um, the, the, there's websites now that you can search by your insurance to find therapists that accept that in your area. Um, but to have those available at any moment so that I know if I'm having this conversation that I'm not then going and, and trying to do the research of, of connecting them with resources that I can talk to parents and make it very clear I, I can speak with your youth. I can be a conversation partner for them, but they need more help than I, I can give uh, beyond what I'm already doing. And so here's some yeah. resources. Here's how to talk about it. And also having that first conversation with parents too, um, to be like, this is, this is depending on the situation, this is going to feel uncomfortable or going to scare you or kind of doing that, some of that initial work and also being like, and also you should talk to someone about mm-hmm. it um exactly exactly that's a great reminder we can't care for others if we're not caring for ourselves and for parents that's such a hard thing to do because one of their primary concerns is to be that caring presence for their kids um and protecting their kids even from their kids own feelings and thoughts and so i think that uh yeah recognizing our limitations is not not a criticism of who we are uh recognizing our limitations is the uh, understanding the wideness of the work and the reason why we do this together and not as individuals. Like this is a community of faith, yes. a community. Um, so whatever we can do to get people the resources they need um, is what we should be doing. And I, I think sometimes you're going to piss people off. Like, you know, I had a young person who really struggled um, and shared with me that he was suicidal. And I said, we're going to need to talk to your parents about that. You can talk to them or we could talk to them together mm-hmm. or I could talk to them, but, but it has to happen. And I have to know it. It's happening mm-hmm. the minute we, they get here. Um, and that did not go well. And that relationship was severed for several years. Um, but for me, it was more important to sacrifice that relationship and save that yeah. young person than, you know, to think about myself. That's not that's not a decision you're going to be second guessing under the worst case scenario no. a few years later. Yeah, no, you know, there probably were some places I could have done it better. Um, and we all look back and evaluate. But I think, you know, in the moment, that was what needed to happen. Loudon, <laughs> you mentioned about uh, community mental health and um, we're trying something for the first time. We were doing a mental health um, first aid training. Yes. And uh, I've never done it before, but another youth leader, uh, J- Jacob Kennedy, uh, suggested it as something that we do as part of our training. So we're trying it next week. And I was wondering if you had heard anything about that and, you know, 
how that might fit into a presbytery group or youth leader team? Yeah, no, it, it's an incredible training. So I've, I've been through one, um, which I did a few years ago. Um, and it's just this, it's that we talk about first aid and CPR certification and youth ministry a lot. Um, and, and these kinds of trainings give you the tools for recognizing kind of um, what would we would probably call red flags, but also um, to get you more comfortable in those moments to being, uh, to having to approach issues that are going to feel deeply uncomfortable. Um, and I think the more experience we can give youth workers in that, and also um, our high schoolers and, and our middle schoolers are on the front lines at their schools for kind of noticing behavioral changes and, and some of these other things that this mental health first aid can help to do. Mm. Um, and another thing it also helps with is that initial interaction of being in that moment and knowing both what to do and what not to do. Because Cliff Brett mentioned this earlier that when we don't know what to do, we often do things that are, are going to cause more more damage than they are going to help. And so uh, I can only imagine treating a wound without knowing how to treat a wound, what that might look like. Right, exactly, um, exactly. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it gives a lot of really good skills, but it is, again, not an end-all be-all. I wouldn't say that uh, first uh, mental health first aid training is the only training you will ever need and not mm -hmm. to, to go back in a few years and take it again. I think it's like CPR and first aid training that... Right techniques and, and new information will come out and they will continue to get better and better uh, with helping equip people. And it's not, it doesn't make you a, a mental health surgeon either. No, uh, no. You're, you, it is not a specialization or a certification. You are not a licensed therapist after you get it. Um, but it does give you these initial tools that can really help you defer uh, p potential damage that you may cause by not having that, that kind of baseline. And it's free. Um, we're working with Mental Health America and it's, they have some grants to do training with as many people as they can. And so we're trying to get, I think we've invited in our deacons and a, a Stephen minister and, um, you know, different people from our church. We're doing it for, you know, those who work with the teenagers, but I thought since we have it here, let's invite people in. And so I'm excited about that possibility. And, and I think cause it's free, it might be accessible to a lot of people. Yeah. And and getting your presbyteries to talk about this, yep. uh, especially uh, in their requirements for training for youth workers, if they have them. We're also encouraging churches because I know, uh, Michelle, you and I are at, at decent sized churches um, with, with certainly more resources than a lot of our churches. Um, and one of the things is there are plenty of these organizations that are trying to offer it for free. Uh, NAMI yes. is another one that has in the past offered um, trainings like this and have grants to do that. And this is a, one of those trainings, at least the one I went to, could be done online. Um, if it, You don't have to have the mannequin that you're pushing CPR on to, to yeah. do the training. And so making it available to more people where crossing uh, geographically, our presbytery, I don't know the size of y'all's presbytery, but our presbytery is three hours, three and a half hours from furthest points, uh, almost four hours at, at, if you go from border to border. And and it's pretty hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time and to be just about gathering people together for trainings. And so anything that we can offer online and send people towards, um, I think would be great. And, and having Presbyterians take this seriously as a part of your training to work with youth. Um, I'd encourage also seminaries to, to integrate more of uh, kind of understanding basic mental health practices and tools uh, in ministry because 
we talk about pastoral care as as though that and uh, uh, this kind of mind science are are not intertwined um, in a meaningful way. Um, and so I'd love to see more of us talk about kind of that um, uh, youth and mental health and how we integrate it into our ministry, yeah. um, especially as either ordained into that specific ministry um, or a youth worker who's working part-time or even solo pastors who have to do it all. Um, so, Yeah, we, um, I think I was surprised when we, we do a mental health weekend every year with parents and kids uh, with the Methodist and the Baptist, and um, it's such a gift to do it as a community. Um, the church is on our block together, but we brought in somebody to do uh, suicide awareness, and I was surprised that the young people don't say the word suicide much. Like, mm. they said at the end of the night, like, that's the most I've ever heard that word said in my whole life, and you know, our, our instructor had us just say it, um, say it back, um, say it to your neighbor and say, you know, just say the, the term suicide, because we have to be able to learn to talk about it so that we can say the right things to each other. Um, so that we don't just say, you know, loud and cliff, if you are in a, in a bad space, if you're not feeling good, give me a call. You know, no, I want to be able to say loud and cliff, if if you're feeling suicidal, if you feel like you are thinking about suicide, please call me, you know, that, let me be one of your people. Yeah. And I'm surprised that, that we don't, we just don't talk about that much, or it's not said in the homes, or it's not said, you know, when suicides happen, we don't name it because we're afraid people might have some judgments about it. I think that's also at the at the roots of our uh, kind of Puritan Christian history in this country of uh, associating kind of negative mental health outcomes with uh, faithlessness or uh, some kind of punishment uh, that 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 we aren't we only don't feel bad because we don't believe enough or uh, because we don't have enough Jesus in our lives. Mm-hmm. And trying to to unpack and destigmatize that that history that we hold within um, of saying actually you can be a very faithful person and be sad sometimes um, you can be a very faithful person and God still loves you and God's love for you doesn't always make you feel great all of the time uh, like I know that I I feel like that's one of my strongest faith statements is that God loves me and and. and has value for me. And yet I don't feel great all of the time. Um, and that's okay. Uh, that, that, that's why we have these conversations, um, mm. is to understand that, that feeling is not one feeling, but all feelings and that they are a part of our experience as, as feeling beings that God created us to be. Um, and so I think a part of that is also kind of, we have to unpack some stuff in our history. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here as we think about this. Any last thoughts on what you feel is the future of youth ministry, Loudon? Ooh, feel. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe think, uh, what are you planning for the future of youth ministry? Yeah, yeah. No, I think think there's there's a lot of, uh, I think, one, there is kind of this 
disaster mode of the mainline church that we have been going through. Uh, and that's been the mindset is churches are shrinking and, and uh, they're losing their standing and kind of the cultural or normative kind of uh, hierarchy in our, our cultures. Um, and a lot of people are, are getting really afraid um, that the church isn't going to be here when my kids are having kids and so such. And so what I think is really interesting is this, I feel like it, the more we lean towards meeting the needs of our community, primarily around kind of mental health and, and how we incorporate uh, mental health into how we preach and how we minister and how we do these things, that there's actually this whole new life for the church uh, in the possibilities that exist there. Um, and I can't think of a more redemptive reconciliation story mm -hmm. than for um, in, in this case, um, the American Christian church, which has been the site of so much spiritual and physical trauma and abuse right. for so many, for yeah. it to, um, for our churches to become the centers of community mental health in a non-toxic way that, that we use faith and, and how we feel and this kind of emotional mindfulness um, to create a deep and abiding faith community that cares about justice and cares about people, mm. cares about well-being, um, that that's actually a really exciting place to be um, and a really exciting story to tell. We're going to talk about God's redeeming and reconciling love. Why would we not start with the church and how the church can be transformed Amen. to to be uh, a, a spot of that kind of healing and growth. Um, and so I, I get really excited about the future of, of youth ministry and kind of what we're learning. And I hope that we as as both, uh, I'm Presbyterian as a denomination and, and just as a church as a whole, look at this opportunity with mm -hmm. hope and with joy and with excitement of we're learning new things. And, and there's an opportunity here to be a new kind of church. And, and not only that, to be something that other places cannot be. We won't get the football team or your basketball team or your swim club uh, you won't get this in your high school uh, hallways um, or at some of these other places um, that have different theologies or, or mm. different at the world but that this can be the differentiating thing for the church this is what we are now um, and who we mm. will be or part of our identity moving forward so um, thank you Lem, for being with us today this has oh. been a great conversation and definitely one we need to be continuing to have. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, y'all. It's it's really a joy to, to talk with people who are who are passionate and, and, and fellow uh, practitioners of this wonderful thing we call youth ministry. This has been the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry podcast. Join us in the Big Ideas in Youth Ministry Facebook group to be part of the ongoing conversation. 